0: So let's jump into where we are here Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be in verses 15 through 12. Um, Today we're going to be talking about a warning that Jesus gives his disciples. uh, And that warning is to be careful of the doctrines of the Sadducees and Pharisees. Um, Now anywhere in Scripture you should uh, take any warning that is given very seriously. Scripture does not warn warn us of things casually. It warns us of things seriously. Hey, here's something to watch out for. Take it serious because I do. Right? Not me, God, okay? I'm not God, just so you understand. He's way taller than I am. Probably in shape. But when Jesus... When, when Scripture points out a specific group by name, and Scripture does call people out by name, not just groups, but individuals, we should pay very close attention to what's being said. So let's jump into this section and try to get an idea what Jesus is talking about here. And uh, starting in verse 5, it says, Now when, he, uh, when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread, Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we have taken no bread? Obviously, we're dealing with a lot of very bright guys, right? But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Oh, you of little faith, Why do you reason among yourselves because you have have brought no bread? Do you not understand? Or remember the five loaves of the, uh, the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up. Jesus is letting him know, it's not about the bread. I can kind of make it out of thin air. It's fine. How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we want to thank you for the wisdom provided by your word and the truth and the light that it brings us. Amen. When we hear the word leaven, we naturally think about bread because if you're around, you'd see bread machines, the bread's all over the place. We think bread, but we also think yeast. That's not exactly what's being talked about here. There's a little more to it than that. Leaven is not just yeast. Yeast is something that's cultivated. Leaven is actually something that's left over. So when you make a batch of bread and you allow it to rise naturally, leaven is what happens when you take the batch, you cut a little bit off, and you put it off to the side so you can use it later. You're saving something from the batch to be used down the road. Okay? You hang on to it. And when you hang on to it, what happens is, if you ever made, uh, anyone ever made Amish friendship bread? It looks disgusting when it's sitting on the counter, doesn't it? You're pretty sure it's rotten. Every time you take the, the wrapper off and you put more flour and stuff in it each day, you're thinking, this can't be healthy. This is just nasty. Nope. It's, that's leaven. That's natural leaven. So when you take a piece of that, that dough and you put it on the counter, each day you're feeding it a little bit. And you're allowing it to become more powerful than it was originally, okay? Because eventually what will happen is it should become powerful enough to now affect the entire batch of of a uh, a new batch of dough. It's got enough strength in it to not just leaven itself, but to leaven everything it comes in contact with. So it affects everything that it touches, and then you take that new batch, take a little bit off, and you start all over again. It's insidious. It just, it just doesn't stop. Bad doctrine is the same, especially when we hang on to it. We take a piece that's not true, we take something that sounds good but it's not accurate and we hang on to it, we put it away and all of a sudden as it's sitting on the counter of our mind it begins to grow in strength and we begin to apply it to other things that we're thinking about and all of a sudden it begins to flavor everything that we're seeing and everything that we're thinking. Jesus says, beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay, so let's, let's ask a question, because I run into this a lot. What's the difference between doctrine and theology? A lot of people think they're the same thing. They're not. They're, they're very much not. So for those nerds among us, here's a little, you'll find this fun. Theology comes from two Greek words, theos and logos, theos meaning God, logos meaning logic, or more precisely, the pursuit of a logical understanding of, okay? That's what logos means. So theology is the pursuit of a logical understanding of God. So if you believe this about God, then the next step is, that if you're going to be consistent, this should come, and then this should come, and as you work your way through Scripture, that's how we develop our views on God. So, but the difference is, doctrine comes from the Greek word didache, which means to teach. Okay, So biblical doctrine centers around what Scripture teaches us regarding the elements of a given topic. Okay? So essentially it comes down to this. What if you if you take this as an example, what does the, the Bible say about salvation? If you just ask the topic, salvation. The answer comes in the form of doctrines. So what does the Bible teach about salvation? The doctrines of salvation basically break down like this: the doctrine of grace, the doctrine of regeneration, the doctrines of election or free will, the doctrines of doctrines of justification. You understand what I mean? So theology is where we get our questions, the doctrine is where we get our answers. And more importantly, the doctrine is what we live. Theology is an academic pursuit. It can be like up in the, up in the, up in the, the ether somewhere. Theology is just this, this mental exercise. Doctrine is daily life. So you can tell someone who has good theology and bad doctrine by listening to their mouth and then watching their life. The challenge is to find someone with good theology and good doctrine. That's important. And there's also those wonderful groups that have really bad theology and really bad doctrine. And then there's cults. There actually is a difference there. So theology gives us the question, doctrine supplies the answers. Excuse me. So Jesus says, beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So what is the issue with these two groups? What is it that that Jesus is saying, don't take any of this into your life? Now you think about this. These were not, and we have this tainted view of these these two groups. These are not unholy men. They're not cults within Judaism. These were the holy men of their days. They were the the popular ones, they were the ones with the influence. They were wrong on a lot of things, but they were not unrighteous people. They wanted to do well. Both groups believed that there was only one God who created all things. Both groups believed that Israel was the chosen people of God, and by following the will of God, we were blessed, and by not following the will of God, we found trouble. And both groups believed that the scripture was the word of God. So what's the problem? The problem is, that's theology. The doctrine was the issue. So check this out. The Sadducees were the elites. They were the rich people of the day. They were the rich religious people. They typically had money, and their money gave them social and political power, and they knew it, and they used it. They used it for their benefit. They didn't care if they stepped on you. You were just simply in the way. Their main focus was on temple worship. They didn't really care about anything else. Temple worship was everything. They didn't care about the the, uh, traditions of the elders. Didn't give a rip about that. This is the way we've always done it. We don't care. To them, Torah was all that existed, and it was a very legalistic interpretation of what that was. Now, the thing that I found to be the most interesting was that they denied the existence of the soul and an afterlife. They didn't believe in a soul, and they didn't believe in an afterlife. What was the point of worshiping and being in the temple? It was because that's how they became blessed here. They believed God was there, but he was no longer part of, uh, he didn't really care too much about us, he was now distant, he was off doing something else, doing so, something else on his own. So this is how you became noticeable. Okay, it was a very self-centered faith. It was all about what I can accomplish in the name of. Okay, now the Pharisees, they were a little more commonplace. They typically were less wealthy, but they were not poor by any means. Still very influential. They were concerned, not necessarily with temple worship, they were concerned with Purity. Remaining pure in all situations. And the only way that you can maintain purity is by controlling the behavior of people. So I will tell you what it takes to be pure. And as long as you do what I tell you to do, you will remain pure in the eyes of God. Trust me, I've talked to him about this. So they developed some sort of ritual for everything. And they were very, very legalistic about the enforcement of it because they believed they were responsible for keeping the Jewish nation pure before God. There's no arrogance there, right? They did, however, believe in an afterlife and the resurrection of the dead at the end of days. The Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection of any kind. Now, here's the part that I find really interesting they hated each other's guts. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were not like two sides of a team. They hated each other. They believed that they were the ones that were right, everybody else was wrong. The only thing they hated more than each other was Jesus. Because Jesus taught a message they didn't like. He taught a message of redemption and the forgiveness of sin by faith. How dare He! Who does this guy think he is, the Messiah or something? So they needed to get rid of him, and so they were constantly plotting in the background because the doctrine that they preached was a doctrine of personal development, not a doctrine of personal sacrifice. It was about them, not about God. So now, we all have doctrinal positions. You may not believe this, but you have doctrine. You may call them standards, but it's doctrine, okay? The issue is not having standards. The issue is how you enforce those standards, right? They had really bad doctrinal standards that came from a flawed core theology. Their core theology pointed in where biblical theology points out. This may come as a surprise to some of you, but your faith isn't about you. The only, the only part you play in it is that you receive something you didn't earn. That's, that's the core of our faith. It's outward looking, not inward looking. <clears throat> I'm not going to get into the details today, but here's, here's a couple things to be thinking about. Both of these groups believed that only those like them worshipped God correctly. Sure, there are other people serving in temples, but, oh man, they have the wrong worship music. Man, are they messing up. Don't they know that the 1800 hymnal is the only one that God will actually listen to? Now, the funny part is we're talking about people in the first century. I'm just saying 1800s, first century. You'll get the joke later. It'll be fine. They believed they were the only ones that had it right. Not because of what they believed, but because of how they worshipped. Everyone else and every other method or style was flawed to the point of heresy that, that was the, to the point of judgment. You were not only wrong, you would be condemned by God for what you're, for what you're doing and how you believe. Yikes. I mean, could you imagine living in a day like that? Could you imagine living in a, I mean, it's, it's great that we're in the 21st century, that we've, we've come farther than that, that we don't live in a day where people are told that they're not real believers based on the kind of music they listen to. <laughs> huh? Or they're not real believers because they don't dress a certain way. They're not real believers because they're not blessed enough They don't give enough. They don't do enough. Aren't we glad we don't live in a day where believers judge other believers based on such arbitrary circumstances as those? Hmm. Or do we? You see, we still see the same thing playing out today And when we we read the Bible and we look at the Bible, we see these terms, Pharisees and Sadducees, what a pathetic group of people. How could they even have those views? But if you actually think about what they were doing, we have the same thing playing out today. We've just changed the terms. Remember, the Pharisees and Sadducees hated each other. They were only coming together to get rid of someone that they found annoying. If I were to put other names in those positions this, uh, uh, t- today, it would probably sound something like Catholic and Protestants. How about reformed and charismatic? It's the same thing. We don't like to think of it that way, but it's the same thing. We think we're right and they're wrong. And not only are they wrong, they're so wrong that they're probably not even saved. Because they don't worship like I do. They don't serve like I do. They have not risen to a level of faith and accomplished something in God that has gotten God's attention so that God is now looking at me and he's, boy, he's saying, well done, good and faithful servant, while I'm still here. No. I don't think that's what he's doing. And each group prays that one day the other group will find enough humility to admit that they were right all along. Because that's what humble people do. They admit they were wrong and you were right. The names change, but the issues stay the same, don't they? So is Jesus saying that we need to live a life outside of standards, just love, 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 and let God sort it out later? No. Standards are all over Scripture. Doctrine exists everywhere in Scripture. All you have to do is look for it. You think about standards of family, children, sexuality, alcohol, the list goes on. There are standards all over Scripture about these things. <coughs> How we live those standards is what, is what matters. Now, I want you to think about this. The Pharisees and the Sadducees believed in purity before God, They believed in committed service to God. They believed in holding one another accountable before God. They believed in committing yourself, heart, mind, and strength to the service of the Lord. Are any of these things bad? They're only bad if they become the litmus test. If you serve in any of these areas, if you believe the way I do in these areas, you will rise from the depths of humanity all the way up to the point where God is now pleased with you. But you've got to get to where I am, and you've got to live my standards in these areas. That's when they become an issue. There's a big difference between living up to the standards of a man and living up to the standards of Scripture as an individual it's two very different things standards are not the issues it's how we live those standards do your standards do your doctrinal positions elevate you above all others do they make you the judge of what is right and what is wrong do they make you arrogant or do they make you humble Our doctrines should keep us grounded. They should keep us patient. They should keep us humble and fully aware of our own sin before God. When our doctrine makes us fully aware of everybody else's sin before God, we know we're in trouble. Because now I, now me, no. People should not be looking at me or you for an example of what perfection looks like. Can you even imagine that? Perfection is not being able to reach anything above four feet. It's perfection. No. I have not arrived, neither have you, neither has anybody else. We're all in the same piece of gravel road crawling on our hands and knees trying to get to the end that everybody else is on. We should just be trying to help other people get there. We are not called to minister the gospel to this lost world because we are so awesome that God counts himself lucky that we're a part of it. That's how the Pharisees and Sadducees thought of themselves. God is blessed and highly favored for me joining his team. Right, okay, that sounds great. We are called to minister the gospel because it is the only hope that people have to avoid the pit that we were rescued from. Do you understand what I just said there? It is the only hope that people have to avoid the very pit that someone helped pull us up out of. Jesus is standing on the side of that pit with his arm reached down, and our only job is to lead people to him so that he can get them out. That's the goal. Can you imagine getting to the end of that pit looking up at Jesus going, I got it. I got it. Watch. This is really going to impress you. The gospel is not powerful because you're involved. The gospel is powerful in spite of your involvement. I want you to check this video out. Some of you have seen this video. Some guy named Alistair Begg. I think he does a great job with this. Um, I want want to point something out. Um, Alistair Begg is a Calvinist and a reformer. I disagree with a lot of his doctrinal positions. But I still direct people to his preaching. Why? Because we agree on the things that matter. Salvation by grace through faith. See how easy it is? You can disagree with someone and still care about it. It's really neat the way it works out. But I want you to listen to what he brings in this because I think he does a beautiful job
1: illustrating this story. Question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. Oh, what an immense, I can't I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were you were you were you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend, you've never been in a Bible study, you never got baptized, you never you didn't know a thing about church membership, and, and yet and yet you made it. You made it! How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said, you know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. <laughs> what, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, uh, uh, you, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor, Ranger. So, so we just a few questions for you, first of all. Are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, "I've never heard of it in my life." And and what about? Uh, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said, "The man on the middle cross said, I can come.'" Now, now that's the. That is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy while at the same time living as if my salvation Depends upon me, and as soon as you go there, it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance, and it is...
0: Isn't that true? It's not about us. It's about him. The doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees made salvation about you, about what you did, about what you accomplished about the level of spirituality you reach. This is, we call this today, we call this progressive Christianity. The funny thing is, it's been around for thousands of years. This isn't nothing new. The devil doesn't have any new tricks. He just relabels old stuff. If you think that one day you're going to stand before God and say, Lord, examine my life and see what I have accomplished for you, Look what I have done in your name. Look at the influence I had around the world in your name. And Jesus says, I'm sorry, who are you again? It sounds familiar to think about that. Almost like Jesus warned us about this at some point in time. And Oh, look, there it is. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I have no idea who you are. You notice what he says here at the bottom? You who practice lawlessness. Let me put that in a different perspective for you, because the term practice means living out on a regular basis. Depart from me, those of you with doctrinal positions that elevate you above me. That's a correct way to say that. Because I never knew you. Your faith was never about me. It was always about you. Your, your commitment was, was never about me. It was always about you. Everything you did was about you. It was never about me. Therefore, I have no idea who you are because we never met. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were able to accomplish great things for God. They really did. But none of them mattered. None of them had value because they were all about man. They were never about God. This is one of my chief issues with the modern charismatic movement. It's all about you. Find your power. Find your authority. Achieve your greatness in God. You do this. You become the healer. You become the prophet. You do do these great things for God. It's not about you. It's about him. And that begins with humility. How foolish would you feel standing before God and having him ask you your name? I'm sorry, who? See on the list? You're not on the list. I titled this message, An Intentional Life. And what I mean by that is this. Living a selfless life that values others above yourself does not happen by accident. It happens on purpose. Intent. Living a life of humility that puts your pride in the trash can where it belongs does not happen by accident. Happens on purpose. Living the life of a servant that is thankful for the skills that God has given you in your life does not happen by accident. Living a life of faith that elevates Christ above all, including ourselves, does not happen by accident. Happens on purpose. These things are intentional, and we could not hope to accomplish them if we keep hanging on to things that we like, that we know are wrong. That's the doctrine of the Pharisees. That's the leaven of the Pharisees. To take into ourselves something we know is incorrect that turns our attention in the wrong direction and we hang on to it and we let it grow in our lives, we let it expand in its influence in our thinking until the point where we can no longer rationalize our connection to God, our connection to faith, and then we walk away from the church thinking that we have become enlightened. But in reality, we've become deceived. The push in the modern American church is to move beyond the word of God to the rationalization of man, and we call it love. That's the doctrine and leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, to elevate your thinking above God's thinking. It's a pathway to deception, it has no lasting eternal value, and it cannot save you. It Sounds good. So when we hear people talking about it, we grab a little piece of that, we put it away, and we hang on to it for later, completely unaware that it is affecting everything else that we do to the point where we're no longer who we started, started out being. It's so important that we keep the correct perspective. That we know the direction that we're going in. And we do it unapologetically. And more importantly, that when we hear things that we know are off, that we know are wrong, we don't, we don't incorporate these things into our life. Well, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. No, you don't. Let me ask you something. You pull a piece of chicken out of the refrigerator. Half of it's moldy. Keep in the other half. You get rid of it because you know that if you keep any of it, it's just going to make you sick. So why do we keep listening to people we know we shouldn't listen to? Why do we keep hearing, we, we keep paying attention to these things that we know we shouldn't be paying attention to? Why? Because we like little bits and pieces of it. Don't do it. It's not worth it in the end. I would rather be accused of being hard-nosed. You're just single-minded Bible-thumper. Thank you. In heaven, that turns into well-done, good and faithful, faithful servant. You remained true to my word. You stayed the course. You walked the path I laid before you. It's not going to be easy. We were, n- we were never told that this life would be easy. We were told this life would be hard. So let's walk it anyway. Amen. We pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you keep us on the path. You keep us moving in the direction that we should be moving, knowing full well what we would be walking into, the difficulty that we would be standing in. Father, give us the strength to see clearly when we're hearing people Discuss your words and discuss your standards that we could see clearly those things that we need to let go and those things that we need to hold on to as if our life depended on it. Father, give us the strength to stand with courage, with confidence and to not be swayed by the world was to trust your word above all no matter what